welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Evening, welcome. Nice to have you all here at our gathering this evening. Um, I feel very humbled and privileged to be up in front of you today. As Don said, we've been here um, a number of years. Um, John and I have been married for 17 years. We've got three beautiful kids. Jess is 15, Daniel is 12, and Jordan is 10. Um, we love being part of the Gateway community. It's amazing. Um, I work part-time as a, a cancer nurse, and my other part-time of life, I study theology through Laidlaw College. The rest of the week is a mixture of playing taxi to children, um, cleaning, housework, washing, very unexciting. Our life is a little bit hectic, um, sometimes chaotic, and as my family said, is like a circus some days. Before we kick off, I'd just like to open in prayer. Father, we just so humbly come before you this evening, and we just... We just give you all the adoration and all the praise. Father, thank you that you are the light. Thank you that you are the path. Thank you that you are the shepherd of our soul. I pray that you speak mightily tonight, Lord. I pray that people may look past and see you. May you speak a word of encouragement into their heart. May they leave not the same way they came in. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. When I was invited, Chris and Don sent an email invitation out asking if I'd like to be a summer speaker. I kid you not, when I got the email, I must have read it 20 times, checking to make sure it had said, you're invited. Now that I think about it, what would he have said, not invited to speak? The following Sunday, Chris um, said to me, did you get the email? I said, yep, yep. He said. So you, yep. I said, did you send it to the right person? He's like, yep. <laughs> um, I wonder how often we say to God, I'm just so ordinary, Lord. I have no great skills or abilities or wealth. In fact, there are people here that are far more qualified and able than I am. What do I have to offer? As we continue this evening with our series of biblical heroes, my hope is that you will see them not solely as characters in a fairy tale that took place thousands of years ago or relics that are long forgotten about. Rather to think of them as people like you and me that lived and breathed and left a rich heritage of what it is to walk the path of faith. You're going to say, but did they have iPhones and social media and Instagram? How on earth did they survive? Did they actually live? They may not have been in the era of having infinite technology and the world instantly at their fingertips, but they certainly knew all too well what it was like to live in a world marred by sin. We're going to read from Joshua chapter two. I've decided to do the character of Rahab. She's quite obscure to some. My son said to me, Mum, there's so many characters to do, hundreds in the Bible, why choose Rahab? I chose Rahab because she's so broken and so ordinary. I wonder if you could turn to Joshua with your Bibles, iPhones, iPads, whatever you have. Joshua chapter two. 
There's 24 verses we're going to read through. I said to John and the family all night at dinner, I was like, 24 verses, that's quite a lot. And he said, oh well, the kids could do a skit behind you and run around. And I was like, yep. And Daniel piped up and said, oh, I could be the donkey, just. (laughs) And I said to Dan, I think later on in the story, the animals die, so the donkey's killed. So could you guess what my eldest child said? I'll kill the donkey. (laughs) Anyway, right, let's get into our reading. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did these remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be, when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there there three days." until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them and all along the way, but they did not find them. 
So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Rahab's story dovetails intricately with another story that is unfolding at the same time. This is the story of Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land through Jericho. It's to fulfill the covenant God made with Abraham long ago to his descendants and Moses to give God's people Israel a land that they can call their own. For the purpose of this evening and for our meeting, I just wanted to talk about three key points that stood out to me about Rahab. Um, how God uses extraordinary people, ordinary people to do extraordinary things, Rahab's working faith, and Rahab's legacy. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary. The heroes of the Bible can so often be viewed as spiritual giants and extraordinary. And don't get me wrong, they certainly were. But when you dig a little deeper, you realize they were so ordinary, imperfect, broken, sinful people, just like us, but they loved and served a mighty God who did the extraordinary. I chose to look at Rahab because she was less than ordinary, but God used her in a mighty way. The Bible contains about 1.1 million words. Of that, woman's words make up a total of 14,056. That is around 1.1% of the total words. Only 93 women feature in the Bible, and only 49 are uniquely identified, Rahab being one of them. I just thought I'd give you some context of the life Rahab lived in. She lived in the city of Jericho, a very lush city, a city of palms, somewhat of an oasis. It was well known for its fortified and notable city walls, which were three-tiered in structure, some scholars say they stood at a whopping 14 meters above ground level. Jericho's population would have been anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 people, and sadly, a very anti-God nation. As John MacArthur says, a grotesquely violent, totally depraved, thoroughly pagan culture, the pursuit of everything evil. In this culture, women were barely seen as human, rather mere objects of consumerism. A time where stories were at their peak, a mighty God, a powerful God, the God of Israel. At his very command, an entire nation were freed. At his very command, the Red Sea peeled itself in half. A time where this same God was going to give her city into the hands of an Israelite nation, and they were going to go through her city to accomplish it. Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot, a woman so steeped in sin an outcast in society, a Canaanite, pretty much a nobody. Rahab's name in Hebrew means wide. Some have suggested that this was in relation to her trade. Others believe it was to do with her house being like an inn and the hospitality that she would later give to the spies. According to a Jewish book called the Gemara, a Jewish rabbinical commentary, it records that Rahab was a prostitute from the age of 10, 10 years old, that is the age of my youngest girl. Can I just say that I think it goes without saying that before you make your assumptions of her, no little girl aspires to work in this profession. 
They may dream of their wedding days or becoming doctors or teachers, but certainly not working in a red light district. Rahab's brothel was situated on the wall of Jericho. It was easily accessible and frequented by a vast number of men from all backgrounds and walks of life. Rahab is mentioned throughout scripture by the name harlot, but why? Why does God do this? God is demonstrating to us that he uses broken people to work his purposes through. God doesn't look at man how we do. God looks at the heart. Samuel 16, 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God saw Rahab an exceptionally overlooked, less than ordinary, insignificant person to the rest of the world. But not to God. The mention of her profession when she is mentioned in Joshua and again in James by the name of Harlot. It is not to flaunt her sordid past, but rather to show God's glory and grace. Because if we completely remove the sin, there is no need for grace or salvation. If we blot out why we come to faith, we tend to forget why we need God at all. God took Rahab's faith and moved it in extraordinary ways. Living in a pagan culture so twisted and evil, and herself in a profession so opposed to everything of God, it's a miracle Rahab found faith in all of that. But the point is, she did. Joshua 2.9 says, She said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. How do we transition from knowing to believing? As John Calvin says, the word of God is not received by faith as it flits about in the top of our brain. It's when it takes root in the depth of our heart. It's a truth that settles in our heart as it did for Rahab. She had heard the stories, but it wasn't just knowledge. It was a transformational truth. Joshua 2.10 says, For we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt... She goes on to say, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She hears the truth and puts her hope in God. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Haven't we too heard the stories of what God has done? We have over 1,200 pages of stories and accounts. Rahab believed in things unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Who or where have we placed our faith today? In God, in money, power, material things, our ability, our skill, our education, knowledge? Have we become so self-sufficient that really we don't actually need anything or need God? Do we have any room for God? Have we put him in the tiny box that he's allowed to speak into in the hour and a half on a Sunday? Is it a faith like Rahab's, an unwavering, deeply rooted faith in God, a faith that is blessed? Blessed are those that believe and do not see. Rahab's working faith. Rahab's faith is an example to us of how her faith propelled her into action. Her newly found small amount of faith that changed history. A faith perceived as small and insignificant but it wasn't the size of her faith, it was who she put it in. Rahab's faith in action was not only in saving the messengers that Joshua had sent out that day, but in obeying the instructions of the spies to hang the scarlet cord in the window. 
a sign they could so easily locate her when they stormed the city, but an outward sign of an inward transformation. James 2.17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We are not saved by works. We cannot earn our way to heaven by good deeds. Rather, an outworking of our faith produces works. James 2.24, you see that man is justified by works and not faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Faith grows in our obedience and love for God, but our obedience does not come naturally. I remember a story when our eldest girl was two and we had a fireplace and we had told her probably two or three times not to touch and she was adamant to touch, adamant, and eventually she pulled herself up on the fireplace and burnt her fingers. I said to someone the other day, we teach our children obedience, not out of being a controlling parent, but because we love them. If we cannot be obedient as children, how will we learn it as adults? Better yet, how will we be obedient to God? Obedience comes not out of religious acts and a show, but out of a deep, a deep love for an extraordinary God, out of a relationship of trust and love comes surrender. Faith grows by feeding it and exercising it, by hearing the word of God and working it out. It could be so small and a simple, a simple choice, a simple act of obedience, the choice not to be part of the office gossip, not to slander or disrespect the people, to choose not to take part in that sin another time, to choose to be people of faith rather than the world, to be something different. The way we live our lives, our priorities, the way we raise our families, how we work and relate with other people. Often it is what we don't say that can be more powerful. People are looking for different. They are looking for a hope. I just recently started a job about three months ago as, the cancer, as a cancer nurse. My first day on the job, it's not a very big office and not many staff. Um, I was introduced to some of the reception staff. I have no idea what the doctor had told them prior, but when I came in, it was like a confessional. They said sorry for not going to church. They apologized for using God's name in vain, for swearing. One of the ladies stood next to me the other morning and just said, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's because it's you're standing here. I'm so sorry. Um, just amazing, I didn't even say anything. I said to John when I got home, so puzzled by they, the way they were at work, and I realized that I had put on my CV that I did some study through Laidlaw. I didn't think too much of it, but that was probably the only time it came up. It's amazing, without a word, what people notice about us. We were not created to collect a faith card or to stick it in our back pocket and sit back down. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. There is work to be done that God has prepared long ago for all of us to do. As long as you have breath in your lungs, then your job is not finished. Rahab's legacy. Our faith is such a personal journey and a walk with God. No one can choose for us. In the same way, we had a conversation with the kids in the car that by not choosing is making a choice. Our decisions have a ripple effect that is part of a greater story. 
the story, the history we have been planted into. It is not by accident that you have been placed in this exact moment in history. It is by divine appointment. Our faith is not an isolated journey. Just as Rahab's story is intertwined with Joshua's and Israel, so is ours. The choices and decisions we make today will impact generations. We may just never live to see it. Rahab's faith to believe in a mighty God and save the lives of the spies resulted not in her life and her family's being spared, but she was physically and spiritually saved. Joshua 6, 25 says, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy at Jericho. Faith is a gift given by God through grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. So that no one, they're not by works so that no one can boast. Her faith was such an example to generations that she is mentioned in the book of Hebrews and which scholars have hailed as the book of faith. People like Noah, Abraham, Moses are remembered for their great faiths. Hebrews 11:31. by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. For us sitting here today, we may think nothing of that, but it's incredible. In a society where women were, were nothing and mere commodities, it's extraordinary that Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews. It's an example of how her faith made her well and lives on today to teach us what it looks like to walk by faith and not sight, to believe against all odds and to transform not only her life. Rahab's faith impacted generations. Did you know that Rahab is mentioned in the lineage of Christ? How is that for extraordinary? A harlot brought into the fold of God's family. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter one, you can read it for yourself, but in uh, verse five, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Goes into Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, is called Christ. You can read that there for yourself. Rahab's faith is an example to us all as believers today. The same is for you and I, as Rahab was adopted into God's family. So are we. The day we realize we are broken people in need of a savior, that we are unable to save ourselves, we place our hope and trust in Jesus, is the day we come into the genealogy of Christ. Rahab didn't just alter the course of her life, she altered the course of thousands of lives. You know, for some of us, we didn't grow up in church. For some of us, we didn't grow up knowing Jesus. Or perhaps for some, you've been in church your whole life. And you just need to be reminded of some of the simple truths I love this quote by Max Licardo. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. Just in conclusion, as you leave here tonight, I pray that you may not leave the same way you came in. I pray that you may leave transformed, challenged, changed. God promises that when his word goes out, it does not return void. 
God did not exclude Rahab the harlot. In fact, he turned a harlot to whiter than snow. He used the ordinary to change the course of history and leave a legacy. We need to be reminded of God's sovereignty, his deep and unfailing love for us. God does not ask us to twist and turn ourselves inside out and be something we are not. But God wants us to come just as we are. The world and people and social media may ask that of us. People like Rahab, we need to come. Just come offering just our hearts tender to him. Come with what may seem like breadcrumbs to love him from a place of adoration as opposed to a place of obligation. Believe in God to move mightily, not in the things you can see, but in the things unseen. Come with your ordinary and allow God to do the extraordinary. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.